Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Garolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com. Also, Diodora is now the official shoe of the podcast. The shoe made legendary by Bjorn Borg and currently worn by world number 28, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, is alive and amplified on the podcast and at my academy. See them at Diodora.com. Today's guest grew up in Bloomington, Indiana, attended Yale University, has a law degree from the University of Pennsylvania, is the journalist emeritus at Tennis Channel. He is the longtime scribe at Sports Illustrated and a reporter for 60 Minutes. My man, John Wertheim, is today's guest, and this is the almost end-of-the-year wrap-up special. My man... Where are you driving from? You're you driving from Erie, Pennsylvania to Columbus, Ohio? Cleveland, but uh, you may as well be Columbus. It's, it's, uh, it's a glamorous life we lead. And can you share, and you're, and you're driving yourself. You don't have a team of security and limousine situation. I asked for that at the Hertz counter, but they just gave me uh, an SUV. Yeah, it's been an interesting day. Gentlemen, you hear the preeminent journalist on the Tennis Channel team since 2007, a longtime Sports Illustrated writer and editor, and a member of really the top team, top journalism team in in all of TV, 60 Minutes. And that's my old friend, uh, John Wertheim. My man, how are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I hope you're somewhere more exotic. I'm in San Diego, baby. We're at the tournament. All right, you win. You got uh, tennis and fish tacos. No doubt, man. No doubt. We're going to get into some delicious uh, Mexican food at some juncture over the over the next few days. Uh, as you know, we do a five-set format. The first set's the off-the-court report. You are indeed off-the-court as we speak. Could you share with us what it is you are driving to and working on oh man i just uh uh yeah sure i i just had a, a speaking engagement with john calipari in uh near his hometown it's just a random uh ra- random night but it was fun good times back to the uh coach cal coach cal yeah coach cal exactly exactly it was a home game for him Wow, John Wertheim transcending tennis this evening. Did Coach Cal share anything interesting with you? Yeah, he was honestly, you know, you do these chalk talks and sometimes it's a lot of cliches and sometimes athletes are into them. Uh, he's good. But what was one of the good ones? You could, you could never do a good business deal with a bad person. Um, no, it was good. He was very, uh, he was very loose and candid, which... Uh, journalistically but also if you're in the audience uh you you prefer that to a lot of cliches he was great and what was the significance of the speaking engagement who was that for uh it was part of a a a speaking series and uh he's sort of a homecoming for him he went to clarion college right around here so he they needed uh they needed a moderator you know they needed a setup man so i i asked him some questions but it was very much the uh the John Calipari show. Now, did tennis come up once in this or not even once? 
Um, you, you know how these things go where people are like, oh, yeah, you know, has, has there ever been a rivalry that's come close to Connors McEnroe? Um, it was t- tennis was pretty peripheral. But, but you know, I mean, honestly, there were there were a lot of good lessons about failure and expectation. This, this went beyond sort of the coaching cliches. And uh, I was thinking there are a lot of good tennis lessons in what he said. I'm sure a lot of good lessons from Coach Cal. With that said, let's move into the second set. This is the On the Court Report. This is why you're here, my man. John, the biggest news of the day is that Emirata Kanu has been reported to have dumped Tersonoff. Tersonoff is off the bag. Emirata Kanu, you know, the flight of Icarus, man. I mean, straight to the sun and has now, she has flamed out. And there's been a monster roller coaster of 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 coaches what what um what what are your sources telling you um you you mentioned icarus i I wish i were uh i wish my mythology were sharper because there there was a a father issue there um and i think that's probably a good analogy um i you know i mean on the one hand we say to us look she's a teenager she's already won a major like let's all back off and give her space and at the same time i think you look at this objectively and yeah it's 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 a little strange what's gone on in that camp in the last 13 months. And, you know, I, I don't think it's any great secret. There is a, uh, there is a, a, a father factor there. I mean, I, I had heard from someone who had actually interviewed for a position that at one point the dad was talking about hiring a different coach for every stroke, you know, so you'd, you'd have a transition game coach and a forehand coach and a serve coach. Um, we, we applaud people that uh, push envelopes and think outside the box, but there also becomes a point where you are in such defiance of conventional wisdom, you're not doing your uh, subject any favors. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's an awful lot of flux. Uh, you know, we were talking about John Calipari. I'll, I'll uh, take this back to uh, what I was talking about earlier this evening with John Calipari. He said, look, if, if you transfer you know, some people pick the wrong program. You transfer schools. By the time you've transferred two or three times, it's it's probably time to look in the mirror. It's, it's not a great look. And I, I wonder if there isn't a bit of that here. Um, every you know, n- Name me a player, and I'll show you someone who's had a coaching change that's healthy. But it's an awful lot of instability for, uh, for, for a player who probably just kind of needs a little bit more of a rhythm and more of a process. And if you if you want a – Long-term job, uh, that is probably not the player you want to be coaching. I mean, I, I saw Tersonoff out. It looks like Jez Green in, who's very well regarded. So they're, they're getting good quality people. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think this is a, a recipe for sustained success to have so many new voices and so much change and churn. And, you know, players talk about this all the time. It, it takes time to develop trust. It takes time to understand what buttons to push. If you're a coach, it takes time to process tone and delivery and the way, I mean, Paul Anacone's great at talking about this, how, you know, the, the way you give player X a message might be totally different from your approach to player Y. And it just seems like for a player at this stage of her career, there are way too many people packing up their stuff in cardboard boxes and uh, you know, uh, there's just too, too, too much churn in the office there. Well, also, you know, if we're going to really talk inside baseball, you know, she got she got poached and and pulled into the Max Eisenbud uh, IMG stable. They tried to play the Sharapova playbook 
with her. They sent her to Piatti. Um, they right. they plugged her in after she won that U.S. Open into all the all the different same uh, endorsement right. deals, all the same coaching deals. That doesn't seem to be working. And, and you know, with the English press the way it is, and that kind of pressure, yeah, you know, this doesn't seem to be moving in a good direction to close the year. No, and I think we also, I mean, it cuts both ways, but remember where she came from. I mean, when, when Sharapova won Wimbledon, you know, she, she was younger than Raducanu was when she won the U.S. Open, but even with Sharapova, it was a little bit of like, oh, finally. Sharapova was a phenom. I mean, Sharapova was 12, 13 years old, and right. we all knew about her, and we all sort of, in the, remember the speed bit? I mean, she already had endorsements. Yeah. Emma Raducanu was being scouted by, you know, 18 months ago, she was on the radar of college coaches. I mean, she almost didn't get a wild card. She wasn't even on the wild card list for that Wimbledon until there were some pullouts. I mean, this really came out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, I mean, re- realistically, I, I don't think, I, I think everybody watched her win that Wimbledon and sort of said, oh my God, that's an amazing story. What a magical two weeks. I don't think anyone said, wow, we're really seeing a, a double digit major winner here. I mean, I think everyone sort of said, great story. Let's give her some space. Let her make some money in endorsements, but let's not expect her to win every tournament she enters. The flip side of that is I don't think we necessarily expected what's come since the U.S. Open, which apart from, uh, you know, sub 500 tennis has been an awful lot of chaos in terms of personnel. Yeah, tough to watch at times for certain. You know, with that said, you know, Anz Jabor, you know, should be one of the big stars of the year, one of the brightest stories, but wasn't able to close the show in her two finals. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at where she's been the last 18 months, it's, it's been a great rise. And I think we, we all are enamored of her personality. I think there's still some, some room to grow there, especially from a nerve standpoint. Remember the match she played? Um, I think she was playing Muguruza at Wimbledon um, in 2021. And literally in the middle of the match, she vomited from nerves. She got, she hand, gets, yeah. And, and she said, you know, even before the U.S. Open final, it's, it's maybe seven minutes before the match. And I'm walking outside and she's on the practice court. And it was clear she just had to sort of get the nerves out and, I mean, she was hitting balls on a practice court seven minutes before her court call for a major final. And, you know, I mean, I, she she's talks pretty openly about this, but she's still vulnerable to pressure. Totally understandable. Again, in the grand scheme of things, great, great presence, great player. She's fun to watch. She's come so far in 18 months, but I still think there's some, you know, I mean, if, if we're talking about levels of the game, there's still a couple of levels that she needs to get to. And I think a lot of that is this sort of this, this presence of nerves and this sort of dealing with the expectation. She's not the only one dealing with this, but um, she's still got a couple of runs to get to if, she, if she's going to win that first major. And, and, and it means so much to her, right. To have the sort of hopes and dreams of not just her nation, but the Arab world, right. Uh, on her show, the Arab world and, She's a inspiration to women in uh, um, such a meaningful way. And by the way, as a, a five foot six player, I love to watch her play tennis, man. I love yeah. to wait. I love the way she plays tennis. You know, th- there was a photo of her 
illegally taken, I may add, in the gym at the U.S. Open after her loss in the final, and she was very upset. Yeah, I, I also, uh, you know, sometimes we say that, oh, they're playing with, it's, it's sort of one of these, these easy cut and paste broadcast cliches, and they're playing with the weight of a nation and inspiring. I, I've seen this up close in person. I mean, there, there are fans at Wimbledon who are singing the national anthem yeah. outside the press center because they're yeah. so giddy. I mean, I've, I've seen this firsthand, and it, it yeah. really is, um, I mean, it's lovely, but it really is a, a unique pressure that I, I don't think too many other players face and again it's it's all come so suddenly i mean you know she she had a nice she was a nice junior player and she was always sort of fun to watch and oh there's this player on the back courts with she hits these crazy drop shots and she plays this whimsical tennis but i mean it's it's been a pretty rapid rise these last 18 months so um you know again it's it's part of the process we're, we're talking about novak djokovic is, is still getting it done at age 35 so I, I hope she doesn't feel too much pressure in terms of time but um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot going on there, and I think it's it's come pretty suddenly too. Are you bullish or bearish on the health and wealth of women's tennis today? Oh man, um, that's a great question. Um, I I'm always pretty bullish just because it's still the biggest women's sport it's still so international coco golf i mean you sort of can find these sort of individual sources of inspiration i just believe in the product um you know do do i wish maybe they hadn't signed this private equity deal that's pending do i wish they wouldn't be hypocritical about china i mean we can sort of nitpick um I'm, i'm not sure this is the product it was when i started covering tennis when it was Venus and Serena coming up and Ingus and Kornikova and Celis and Lindsay and Arancha and Mary Pierce and Capriati. I mean, I'm not sure it has that kind of a cast right now. I think they could use some rivalries, but I, overall, I, I still think women's tennis is a great product. Can you tell us anything about Rafa and his new child? Did, could you, did you learn anything interesting about that? I, I got a very uh, sort of uh, pleasant, but, Terse, uh, everybody's everybody's doing well. I, I think you, you know. Um, it, it's funny. I mean, I think sort of privacy expectations are different for different cultures. And in the U.S., you know, it's a big deal, and it's baby pictures, and it's boy, boy or girl, what's the name? And the, I, I get the feeling there's a much greater level of uh, of sort of discretion. Um, you, you do not see like wall-to-wall photo albums and this was, I mean, it's, they, they've really played it pretty close to the vest. And I, I wonder if that isn't cultural, but I did, uh, you know, I, I heard everybody's doing well, which is great. Um, you know, we, we know a little bit from this summer that there were, you know, this, this may not have been the, the easiest pregnancy, but it sounds like everybody's doing well. So uh, now all, all of the big four have uh, children. Novak Djokovic is absolutely throttling everybody like he never stopped playing tennis. Can you share any interesting information about the mission he is on? Or do you have any interesting information regarding Australia? Um, I, you know, I, mean, I think we're all sort of operating on the assumption he will play Australia. And, I, you know, I mean, we, we live in this era of uh, 
our, our attention spans are, you know, we, we were all a week ago, we were all up in arms about Brett Favre, and now it's, it's disappeared. And um, I, I have a suspicion, A, he'll go to Australia, B, it will not be nearly as controversial or as much friction as people might anticipate. And no, I mean, I think, I think you raise a really good point. He's 35 years old, which not that long ago was absolutely ancient. That would be senior tennis eligible. He has this very strange year. He plays Wimbledon and wins that. Doesn't play another match. You know, I mean, we can talk about whether to count Labor Cup, but, you know, he doesn't play another ATP-sanctioned points-at-stake match until Tel Aviv in late September. And you would have thought that he'd taken four days off and continued that level of play. I mean, I think between the size of the layoff and the fact that he's a 35-year-old man, I think this is one of the more remarkable tennis stories of the year, honestly, that I, I don't know if we're talking about enough. I mean, his, his level, after taking that amount of time off, I, I think really makes quite a, quite a statement about uh, not, not just the tennis he's capable of playing, but also how professional he is, how he keeps himself sharp. Um, that, that, to me, was phenomenal. How does this whole thing land when the book is written, when the story is said and done? This Does it get written as he cut off his nose to spite his face? Is it written that he stood up for what he believed? Like, what, what, How does this thing land in your estimation? I, mean, I think some of it's numbers dependent, right? I mean, it's like... Uh... You know, remember Garo Yepremian, the kicker for the Dolphins? Of course. He he has that blunder, that famous blunder in the Super Bowl. And the Dolphins still hang on and win the Super Bowl. And he's, you know, he's he's passed away. But he would say, look, if we had lost the game, it would have been the end of things. You know, I would have been Bill Buckner of football. But we won and life goes on. And I think, you know, if, if Djokovic ends up retiring with the most majors, which I think many of us think he will, I think this will be seen as, you know, boy, boy, he made it harder on himself than uh, he had to. If he somehow, you know, if he quit tennis tomorrow and he fell one or two short, I think we would all point back and say, wait a second, you were coming off the sensational season and you voluntarily, by your own volition, you missed two of these because you didn't want to get a vaccine. I I don't, you know, I I don't think it's, I I don't think many people are going to see him as sort of a freedom fighter and a great act of conviction. Um, but I also, don't, don't you feel like, you know, I mean, Serena threatens a woman with a, a tennis ball at the U S open more than a decade ago. You know what? After a year, it was forgotten when she retired, it didn't get mentioned. I feel like sometimes we get hung up on, on controversy and on tension. And in the grand scheme of things, when we sum up careers, there, there's a smallest of footnotes, um, this, the same way nobody is mentioning, even the Osaka final in 2018, but, you know, n- nobody is mentioning Serena Williams and a, a default for threatening a lineswoman when she retires. She, her career ages pretty well. I, I think the same is going to be true of Djokovic. And, you know, did he have a couple of PR blunders that Federer Nadal managed to avoid? Yes. Was he more polarizing than, than many other top players? Yes. But I think in the grand scheme of things, you win 20 majors and, that is the headline and whether or not, uh, you know, you once got defaulted from a U.S. Open or whether or not you got deported because you didn't want to get vaccinated, I think is going to be a pretty small footnote as, uh, as we sort of take inventory of things. Well, I don't know. What, what do you think? 
Mm, I, I, you know what, John? To, this is not my day for that. You got. I need to know. Right. I, I don't know, brother. Uh, but, but with that said, so many other stories seem to get lost in the sauce. Ash Barty stopped playing tennis. Are you you mean for twenty? For 2022 Same, you know like yeah i know these, i know i mean these stories I get back. these, these stories get lost so many stories get lost in the sauce uh let's not forget the most dominant player on the tour in the prime of her like in the in the perfect moment of the career just shut it down and i'll tell you the other thing is that and this is in no way disrespect to ash barty but that, that kind of stopped becoming a talking point after a few weeks. You know, wait, wait a second. She's, you know, Mike dropped her tire, and she's the defending champion at multiple majors, and she's only in her mid-20s. And then Ega starts playing Eagle Ball and going on that streak, and Wimbledon isn't going to give ranking points. You know, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Wimbledon's banning Russians, and they're not going to be ranking points, and Roger and Serena are going to retire, and sort of the, the, the plot moves on. And I think sometimes we get so hung up on – you know, oh, my God, this is the news story of the year. And we we don't have the attention spans we used to. We spun more positively their other players and other good things and other tournaments that are being won that sort of take over our, our consciousness and take over the headlines. But, yeah, I mean, the, the player who was number one at this point last year would win her whole major. And, you know, re- realistically, she was, she was number one. She was a decent contender to win the Grand Slam. She was only a U.S. Open short of a career slam. She shuts it down. And by mid-April, we're talking about other stories. And I think it's, um, I mean, I think it's ultimately healthy, but it, it is pretty wild to me how um, what we think is big news doesn't last nearly as long as we, we think it will. Dr- Draymond Green punching a teammate is not going to be a big story by the time this podcast comes out and we see the same thing in tennis. I mean, that's almost an insult to my editor and my, my team. I, we're going to get this thing out so fast that Draymond will still be in the news. <laughs> um, what's the overall feeling from you and your colleagues about uh, Carlos Alcaraz's uh, emergence as the best young player we've seen in some time? What, what I keep hearing is the, the preface, if he stays healthy. And, you know, I mean, I, I think it was this youngest U.S. Open champion in years and youngest number one. And I've been, I mean, a lot of people picked him to win the tournament. I mean, this has just been such a breakthrough year for him. Hasn't played great since the Open. Hasn't played that much since the Open. It's understandable if he hits a wall. I, I think the big X factor you know, you sort of go through the list of the usual perils, and you don't get the feeling this is a guy who's going to, you know, with a lampshade on his head in a Monte Carlo nightclub. You don't have a feeling this guy is going to go, you know, wreck his sports bar. Sorry, he's not going to stop training. He's a good team. I mean, you sort of, there's a lot of really positive infrastructure. I think the big concern is can you play that aggressively and that level of intensity? and stay healthy. And I think the, the sort of, if, in as much as there's, there's any sort of guarded, if, if the optimism is in any way guarded, I think it's only because you wonder if he can sustain this physically. I think everything else from his disposition to the team around him, to his family, to his professionalism, the physicality, the fitness. I mean, 
what what's not to like about this player? Nick Kyrgios had such a sort of bizarro year. Does that continue? I, I think it does. And I think that, um, you know, we're, we're all kind of grappling with how to handle this domestic violence allegation, which, I mean, they seem to be very good at sort of kicking the can down the road. But um, that press release last week that the Australian media reported on, um, that's that's not necessarily what you want to hear from a defense lawyer. Sorry, they're, they're, uh, John, could you please explain what shook out with regards to, to the curious situation? Well, re- remember, during Wimbledon, there was this news release that it, it wasn't criminal charges. It's sort of a different, uh, you know, a different vernacular in the Australian legal system. But an inquiry was opened up against a domestic violence incident. This was his previous girlfriend. Uh, allegedly, and we, we stress allegedly, there is some, some video evidence out there that um, uh, you know can capture some of this alleged assault. We, we ought to be careful. And there have been a number of hearings that were either delayed or postponed. He hasn't had to appear in person. Um, and then last week, there was this Australian media report that Curios's lawyer said he studied Curios's mental health record over the past few years and that essentially was the defense um that that's not a classic defense in these kinds of situations that suggests there is some uh again it only suggests we'll be careful but that that suggests there is some sort of irrefutable evidence out there that um is, is adverse to the client's interests um that, that is not a standard response from a defense attorney and we know what we'll see how this plays out um unlike Zverev's situation this is in the legal system so there will be adjudication and there will be resolution and he'll either be charged and convicted or he won't uh, which again puts us in a different space than the Zverev case where um it's not in the legal system but the, the bottom line is it's, it's it's not a good look and especially for someone as as candid as, as curious is um sort of in, in some ways he's he said nothing and that said everything it's it's not a great situation and maybe he'll be exonerated and we can get back to talking about tennis but it's a little hard for me to talk about his you know his odds of qualifying for the year-end championships when we have this very serious allegation and again we had this kind of i i, I thought very curious response from his own attorney with that said what do we know about the uh, saga of Alexander Sasha Zverev? That is a great question. I was told at Wimbledon that this independent investigation was going to be released at any time and sort of that, that Sasha was expecting it by the end of July. Uh, that hasn't happened. Again, the ATP based on the strength of Ben Rothenberg's reporting opened an independent investigation into abuse charges, mental and physical abuse charges levied by a former girlfriend of Sasha Zverev's, correct? Correct. And this was from, uh, I mean, this was been, this would have been 2019 now. So we are, you know, we're, we're more than three years out. Um, Hard fact check that, but I, I believe these, these allegations were from 2019. Um, and, you know, I mean, there, there is no, she did not 
seek legal recourse and it's, it's understandable why women in that situation don't. But I do think it's also too reductive to say, oh, it's he said, she said. Um, she has contemporaneous accounts. There's physical evidence. There are photos that do not paint a, um, a nice picture. The ATP sort of pungent at first and then farm this out for an independent investigation. And I, I think everyone, I mean, I, I suspect not least Sasha Zverev would like this report to be uh, finally issued because I, I don't think it helps him either to have this hanging over him. But the, the bottom line is I, I was told that uh, that Zverev camp expected to have some sort of resolution in July. And that, that here we are uh, in middle of October and that that no one knows what that report is is there a um broad stroke theme to what tennis was like this year was it sort of a goodbye to the goodbye to the legends and hello to the to the fresh new you know body rockers the ones that are just coming for the crown Iga, uh carlitos i mean is that what we saw did we see a a, a mid-level changing of the guard or, or do we not? I mean, Rafa won two majors. I mean, right. No, I like, I like how you put that. It, it's like, you remember how like the, what, what was it called? Pangea broke apart and sort of slowly drifted into continents. Like we, we haven't had this like big boom, right? And it's not like, Oh, the, the big three are gone and the whole new guard is here. It's been sort of a gradual shift. So yeah, if you, if you'd ask for the story of the year through six months, You'd say, oh, it's, it's the Rafa show, and, and Iga sort of slid in nicely where Ash Barty left. Um, not a lot of Nadal since the French Open. Novak won, won his major, but then sat out the next one. Carlos is number one. I mean, it's, it's been a real kind of mishmash. You know, you could, you could spin that either way, right? I mean, the big three won three of the four majors, and yet, you know, in, in some ways, the number one player is the number one player. It's kind of been the year of Carlos. And then on the women's side, I think, um, you know, it, it's she, she's had some rough patches too, but I think the way Iga got this battlefield promotion and then just absolutely ran with it is, is probably, that would be my overarching story on the women's side. And let's not forget, Danielle Medvedev didn't get to play Wimbledon. Andre, Andre Rublev didn't yeah. get to play Wimbledon. Daria Kasatkina didn't get to play Wimbledon. And a um, and well, and the flip side of that is a, a Russian resident who was born in Russia got to play because she, you know, de- decamped to Kazakhstan. But uh, you know, essentially, a, a Russian residing, Russian-born player did win, didn't get any points, and we haven't heard much from her since. So I'm, I'm not sure that uh, not sure that Russia ban really panned out. Not, I'm not, not sure uh, Putin really uh, was was taught much of a lesson with that one. Normally, we move into the third set, the portion of our show where we discuss your career. But just because of the heavy, heavy tennis action, we're going to move into the fourth set. We're going to go right to the 10 ball scramble. John, I say it, and you say what comes in your mind. We go fast. You ready? Let's do it. The best thing about your job? Uh, Colleagues. The worst thing about your job? Travel. Really? Yeah, it's, uh, I say I say that looking for uh, my airport hotel outside the Cleveland airport. So maybe it's just <laughs> si- si- situational. Your favorite tournament? Oh man, uh, that's a good one. 
Oh man, I, come on, maybe, man. Maybe Roland uh, Indian, Indian Wells is great. You gotta go Indian Wells. Well, you don't like Roland Garros better than Indian yeah, Wells. Yeah, I was gonna say Roland Roland Garros, Rome. You can't go wrong. It's one of the. Yeah, yeah, I um, it's you're spoiled for choices. So which one is it? Come on, baby. Oh, I think Roland Garros is great. You know, you know one thing about Roland Garros, real quick, that no one realizes. They, they go to the Open, it's a pain in the ass to get out there, and they go to Wimbledon, and they might get to London once. Like, you can walk from the Eiffel Tower to Roland Garros. It's like, it's really in Paris. Yeah, um, it's awesome. Roland Garros is great. It's, it's awesome. totally it's great. freaking awesome. Yeah. Your favorite city? Tennis or just in general? Hey, man, it's the 10-ball scramble. You say what comes uh, in your mind. Bye, um, man, I got some. Uh, Vienna. 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 Yeah, Vienna. Why? Uh, it's sort of like it's, it's like a Teutonic Paris. It's like a, it's, it's like a Austrian Paris. Um, great, charming city. I don't know. Good memories. Your favorite, most influential sports writer. Ooh. Um, that's a good one too. God damn it! Uh, I guess I'd say John McPhee. I, you know who I read? I mean, I, I Peter Bodo's up there. Um, I would say just for sort of showing me, I'd say John McPhee or Pete Bodo. How's that? Peter Bodo. I wasn't expecting to hear that. Uh, really? Really? Well, shout out for Pete. What well, can you explain? That, that court, that court of Babylon. You ever read that book? No, um, Peter, no. Peter Bodo's book. I mean, so, so real quick, we were, we skipped the career day, which is fine with me. Um, I worked as like the ball boy coordinator at the New Haven event in uh, college. And it got me really into tennis and it was a lot of fun. And I was like the locker room attendant and I started devouring tennis and Peter Bodo's book, the courts of Babylon just really hit with me. Um, it's a great book of tennis essays. There's a great one on Borg's comeback. Um, it's just really nice writing. And I think it hit me at just the right time when I was starting to really get into tennis. Wow. This is tremendous information. John Wertheim giving Peter Bodo <laughs> the Courts of the, Babylon. Courts of Babylon. My man. Um, medical timeouts. Oh, man. It's like, you know, you know in, in school where you say you have to go to the bathroom and the teacher knows it's bullshit, but like, who wants to be the teacher that doesn't let the kid take a leak? I, I think you got to give a uh, wide berth here. I'm. Uh, I, I I feel like the the risk reward. Someone's going to exploit them and use them strategically, but I think that the risk of an injured player not getting full attention is is too great not to kind of make them as liberal as possible. TUEs therapeutic use exemptions. I I, I think that's like ten years ago. It was kind of an open secret. I, I feel like there's they're getting tougher. And uh, I, I think they should be public. If you if you take one, I think at some level, you know, it's um, it's 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 tricky business. But I, I feel like I'm hearing less about that than I did ten years ago. Not just in tennis, but in all sports. Have you been hearing anything about the prevalence of some of these younger guys taking Adderall? Yeah, that's the one. That's I hear. Yeah, that's the one I hear for for like. I hear Adderall uh, frequently, uh, but and not you know from from all over the world too. I mean that they're not, uh, 
Yeah, I add her also when I hear a lot. Yeah, you know, I think that that is a um, story waiting to be broken, that some of these players are popping Adderall saying they got ADD, and it's right. giving them that locked-in advantage, that little 5%. Um, I did a story a few years ago on the Georgia program, had a bit of a controversy, a bit of a scandal with that. I don't know if you remember that. Um, I but don't. I, I was surprised just how many um, – I'll send you the link sometime. Um, but th- I, I was impressed. I mean, I kept here and I researching that story. The amount of college tennis players that had an Adderall prescription was um, quite striking to me. Oh, my that God. Was. That is so nuts. Uh, your favorite Roger Federer moment. Oh, man. Um, you, you want a personal one or one I sort of witnessed from afar? Don't make me reprimand I was supposed to. Uh, I was supposed to talk to him. It sort of been, been a while. I was supposed to do a, uh, like a one-on-one with him, and it was in. Uh, it was going to be in Toronto, but we sort of set it up, and then I said, "Oh shit! I actually have a conflict. I can't make it on that day." And Rogers basically sent word, to, sort of said, "Well, what day can you make it? And I'll try to work it, make it work on my end." Um, it's not often the international star athlete is bending his schedule to accommodate the journalist. Uh, but no, I mean, I think all of us have stories like that and it's hard not to, you know, you, you experience that firsthand, you witness it. I mean, there are all these stories. Everyone's got a story, right. Of he did a video for the ant and he went into the truck to give the retiring graphics guy a cake. You know, you, you hear enough of those stories and it's hard not to be impacted by that and uh have that sort of i I don't want to say bleed into your coverage but um it's you hear enough of those stories and you sort of realize what an extraordinary guy this this is right the mensch of the century mensch of the century favorite serena moment oh man um darn that's a good one i when when serena back when you know when, when sports illustrated perhaps had a bit more cachet when Serena and Venus played in the finals of Lipton in uh, 1999 in Miami and it was sort of this big coming out neither of them won a major yet but it was sort of Williams against Williams in the final and Richard was in Richard mode and every it was a big deal um I rode in a car with them while they did the trophy pose on that causeway to keep his skate and I remember Venus won the match and she was sort of smiling and giddy and she was very outgoing and Serena was pissed. And I just remember thinking then, you know, it's, it's it, objectively, it's a great result. She got to the finals. She lost to her sister. And I'm sort of thinking, man, if, if she can challenge that level of intensity, if she can channel that level of intensity, she may end up being a better player than Venus. And um, it was a, sort of a, a, a telling moment. That's incredible. Rafa. Oh, man. Well, a Rafa moment. No, just Rafa. I just said Rafa. Oh, wow. Um, I don't. I mean, just I, I gotta say, it's a recency effect. But that reaction at Labor Cup was. Um, I, I think we all kind of knowing Roger, we expected some tears. That Rafa reaction to me was really revealing, and I would love to talk to him about what that was all about. And whether that was his own tennis mortality, whether it was just the weight of the occasion, whether it was 
you know, losing a match and not being at his sharpest when he really wanted to send Roger out in style. But that, that to me was, um, I, I didn't see that one coming. That was, um, it was, that was pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it was heavy. I'd love to ask him with some detachment what he made of what happened there. Andy Murray. Man, I, I can't remember. I, I can't think of a player who had a, remember the, the Brits used to make fun of Andy Murray because he sort of had this monotone and he was droll. And meanwhile, I, I can't think of like an image that's less consistent with reality. A- Andy Murray's sort of this, this wonderfully witty, charming, funny guy with uh, interest well beyond tennis. And the idea that he's sort of this dull, monotonous player is, is really out of whack with uh, reality. Feliciano Lopez. Oh, man. Uh, I guess I would just say sort of Durham. He's, he's a few weeks within Rogers. I guess the, the, the rare Spaniard who is better on grass than clay. How's that? Rajiv Ram. Oh, that's my guy. Indiana's own. Um, we, we talk about late career success, but this takes it to another level. Uh, he's one of the one of the good guys. For our listeners, 38-year-old Rajiv Ram, who serves and plays a lot like Pete Sampras, just got to number one in the world in doubles. Incredible effort. Yeah. Did we mention he was from Indiana? That's more important. Uh, no, he's one of, one of the uh, one of the good guys, and uh, yeah, it's not not often you see a guy achieve his career high ranking at age thirty eight, and that ranking is one. Genesis of ma- the SI mailbag. Oh, it's a good story, actually. Uh, I was supposed to cover Andre Agassi in nineteen ninety eight when he was having this torrid summer, and I go to one of my first assignments and I go to Toronto and it's raining and I'm bored and the matches keep getting delayed. And somebody says, well, if you're really bored, we're thinking about doing more on the internet. You could try a tennis Q and a column. I think I had a bunch of buddies and coworkers send some letters and uh, it started in a, a, you know, in the rain dank press tent of uh, Toronto in, 1998 as embarrassing as that is 23 years later is there like a time of day that you do it do you wait till the night do you procrastinate it do you enjoy it how many how many questions do you get um man i think that i the the questions really vary based on like news or controversy or you know it's obviously more at majors than not or if something you know there were a ton with labor cup and roger last week was a little thin um i do it a lot on airplanes it's kind of like what i do when i fly and you know i mean so, some weeks you go and go and go and some weeks you say shit i've got to get this done in 45 minutes i'm just gonna toss off as many as i can until the timer goes off what is your advice to reluctant writers that you know kind of have things in their mind that they need to get down but they don't they don't seem to find their way to the to the keyboards or to, to the pen um word word count goals right i mean it, very rarely does someone like sit down and write the three thousand word racket magazine piece but if you say to yourself you know God damn it, I'm going to write 500 words today. 
And tomorrow it's going to be a thousand, and Wednesday it's going to be fifteen hundred. Just chip away and uh, set set a set a word count goal. And it, it's always you know it's kind of how I look at books too. You say, oh, you got to do eighty-five thousand words. You say, holy shit. And you say, well, I don't know. I I can do a thousand a day. And if you do a thousand a day twice a week, you'll have a book by the end of the year. So I word count goals is what I would suggest. Word count goals. Word count goals. Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could be the king of tennis and make a change in the sport. With a swing of the racket, with no aggravation, what would it be? To blow up the structure and come back as a conventional sports league. With one league and with collective bargaining and unionized players. And I think we all agree if, if tennis were going to start tomorrow, nobody would say, oh, we should have these seven, you know, we, we should have these seven families and this crazy org chart and the ATP is not a major event, but the WT, it's just, it's nuts. It's self-defeating. It's a growth stunter. And if this could just be run like UFC, for example, with, with collective bargaining, it's such a great sport. There's so many assets and virtues and it's international and it's men and women. And if it just could get out of its own goddamn way, it would be so much better off. Hey, man, known you for quite some time now, and it's been a thrill to see you thrive and, and, and become the, you know, the reporter on 60 Minutes and such. And uh, yeah. it was a total pleasure to have you on the show. It's very kind of you. Likewise, it's uh, next, next time we'll do this in person and not behind the wheel of a rental car. But uh, no, always a pleasure talking shop. Well, now, you know, I left out that third set, which is that big chunk where we talk about your career. So I, we, we have to get you back on for that. Uh, L. John Wertheim, Lewis John Wertheim. Uh, you had to go there. The we were doing so well, and you had to go there. My man, I always call you L. John. You're, you're in my phone is yeah. L. John. All right. All but right. why? Is there a reason you don't use the L anymore? I love the L. No, it's a Lewis. That was the... Uh, oh, you don't like you the know, Lewis. Really? You don't like the Lewis? You're you're in you're in seventh grade and Revenge of the Nerds comes out, <laughs> and the main character's name is Lewis, and there goes your uh, there goes your adolescence. I think L John is just I oh, like it, it when it says L John. I think that's bad right. to the bone. L John <laughs> Wertheim, thank you very much. Safe travels. I hope you get to Cleveland in beautiful fashion, and you are released. Appreciate it, man. Go uh, go watch some tennis and eat some fish tacos. Huge thank you to L. John Wertheim. And thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at SergioTacchini.com. And welcome aboard Diodora. See them at Diodora.com. And be on the lookout as there will be more to come from them. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.